When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio State showed us something. So did Oregon. But is USC actually good? We got to talk about it. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, I'm going to react to the Associated Press poll top 25 for week five, and I'm going to give you my top 25 for week five. We got a little bit of moving and shaking. We got to talk about the aftermath of Oregon, Colorado. We got to talk about the aftermath of Ohio State and Notre Dame and that dreaded 11th man. And we got to talk about, is Florida State actually good? So let's get started. By looking at the Associated Press Poll's top 25 going into week five, and I'd like to congratulate you on really getting this USC thing off and running for me, right? Because it feels like y'all stayed up with me to watch the game and you took away a little bit of a different reaction. But I'm going to start at number five here with Florida State. Florida State beat Clemson in overtime in Death Valley. It's a huge win for Florida State and Mike Norvell because the Seminoles had not beaten Clemson for seven years and hadn't beaten them in Death Valley since 2013. We're talking about a 10-year drought here, going to Death Valley and seeing those guys touch Howard Rocks and getting handed their heads. That didn't happen on Saturday. And for good reason, we're looking at Florida State going, are you any good? Or at least I am. Because now I'm looking at a program that many people expected to walk down Clemson at the start of the season that, again, needed overtime and never ever led in regulation. If Keon Coleman doesn't decide to say, no, 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 I'm a front runner for Bulletnikoff Award, then perhaps we're talking about this game differently because it's him who absolutely went out and won this game, Florida State. Jordan Travis found him in the back of the end zone. He had nine catches for 86 yards, two TDs. He's got seven receiving touchdowns. And we're in September. He had seven receiving touchdowns all of last year. But I can't look at this game and say that Florida State is a top five team. I can't look at this game and say that they're barely, barely inside the top eight, maybe the top 10. We'll talk about this with my top 25, but they're just overvaluing this win against LSU, who I don't think is very good. Like they're a top 25 team. You can see them here at number 13, but I don't know that they're going to beat Alabama for the SEC West this year like they did that last year. They were in a game late against Arkansas, pulled that win out 34-31, right? But we're also talking about being in a dogfight with Arkansas, who lost to BYU last week. And BYU just lost to Kansas, who ranks number 24 here and is off to their second 4-0 start in as many years. First time they've done that since 1915. But the also thing about Florida State is you need overtime to beat Clemson. You know who didn't need overtime to beat Clemson? Duke. You know who beat Clemson by three touchdowns? Duke. And then I'm looking at Florida State, who beat Boston College 31-29 after leading at 1.31-10. Same Boston College team played Louisville on Saturday 
And by the third quarter, it was 49-14 to Louisville. So either Louisville is one of the most slept on Power 5 teams in existence today, or Florida State really ain't that good. And I just can't look at this number five ranking and see that is the case. Like, I, that's a team that I expect to be far and away better. Like, when we talk about top five, we're talking about tiers here. We're talking about Florida State being a team that we expect to play for a national championship, not simply make the playoff. The thing about this now is, save Duke. They could run through the rest of their schedule undefeated, win the ACC title game, and make the playoff and get oklahoma circa 2019. So I need to see more from them. I need to see a complete game from Florida State. I need to see Jordan Travis working at all levels. I need to see him be able to distribute the ball to somebody other than the trees that he got at wide receiver and Jaheim Bell, Johnny Wilson, and, of course, Keon Coleman. And I'm also going, maybe not, right? Maybe you only need those three, and maybe you need Trey Benson to run the ball, but they couldn't do that. And I'm looking at a Clemson team that might be worse than it was last year, but last year they won 10 games. Cade Klubnik was not accurate with the ball all day. He had an egregious sack fumble that was the difference in the game, picked it up, scored six as basically a 14-point swing. If he just holds on to the ball, takes a sack, and they somehow come away with points in that drive, game's over. Clemson wins. And again, this is a Clemson team that had already lost to Duke. So I need to see more from Florida State. Oregon at number nine here. I thought what they did against Colorado just can't be overlooked, right? I think certainly it's a top 10 team. They're ahead of, or excuse me, just behind SC and Washington, who I'll talk about a little bit later on. But I saw from Bo Nix the kind of play that we thought he was capable of when he was a four-star, surging five-star at Auburn as a freshman. We also are looking at a dude who has been playing football for six years and has been outstanding in the sport. He's the first FBS player to play at two different Power 5 programs and account for 55 touchdowns at each. And that's even more remarkable when you remember that he's only been at Oregon for like a year and change, right? That offense just moved. Kenny Dillingham calling the shots last year. This year is Will Stein. He's got three outstanding tailbacks in Noah Whittington, Jordan James, and Bucky Irvin. And Troy Franklin is a monster out there at wide receiver. He was getting anything that he wanted against that Colorado secondary, uh, had Omarion Cooper out there on an island. I don't know that Troy Franklin goes off like he did against Colorado if Travis Hunter is healthy, but I don't think it would have changed anything either. They were outclassed by a really, really good Oregon football team. For But we went into this knowing that Oregon was a really good football team, and we went into this knowing that they won 11, win, uh, 11 games last year. We went into this thinking – Oregon could very well be playing in the Pac-12 championship and very well be edging toward the college football playoff. That they beat Colorado so soundly isn't really the takeaway for me. That's what you're supposed to do. That we don't value the win over Colorado the way that I think we should. That I think we can have a conversation about that. I think that's a good Colorado football team that needs to share up its front seven, needs to share up its offensive line, certainly. But I don't know that you are going to stop Bo Nix. On Saturday, that man was outstanding, and I expect him to continue to do that. But they're they have to prove it. Like the Pac-12, for once, is absolutely deep, so they got to go through some really tough opponents on the way to what could be a very cool and magical season for them. But at number nine, I fine, we'll leave it there because between Washington, USC, Oregon, and Utah at ten, we're going to see a lot of shaking out here. Uh, talk about US, uh, US, uh, USC, excuse me, just for a little bit here. They dropped three spots after beating Arizona State by two touchdowns. I had wondered if the rest of the AP was going to stay up with me to watch this game because it was sloppy. 
for SC and it was outstanding for Arizona State. Like they made plays I didn't think that they were capable of making in this game. And it was really close at one point. I want to say it was 24-21 late in the game before USC found a way. But you could see how Arizona State with Drew Pine at quarterback looked like an outstanding football team. And if you're going to sleepwalk through a game and you're SC, fine. Like if you've been paying attention, they put up 56, 66, and 56 in their first three games. Nobody scored more than 28 on them, just like Arizona State. The defense isn't great. But it ain't terrible either. They sacked quarterback eight times against Arizona State. They had two turnovers in this game. They gave up more yards than most of us are comfortable with. But that's the game plan at USC. The game plan is to put up 50 a game and let people score 30 a game. It's a 20-point margin of victory. That's three touchdowns. It's okay. I think that this SC team is the most dangerous team in college football. It's the only team right now that I'm really scared of. Georgia has faltered 7-7 to UAB and then potentially pulling away, scoring 49, winning 49-14. But I don't know that Carson Beck is the guy to go lead you down the field if you're in a tight ball game. Michigan is just Michigan. I think if it if it was a little bit different in how we feel about this team above the Mason-Dixon line, we'd probably be talking about them the way we talked about 2011 Alabama, 2012 Alabama. They run the ball really well. They play outstanding defense. They're not flashy. They're not going to just go out of their way to score points. They're going to be great in November, great in December, great in January because they're built to run the football and running the football is what you have to do when it is cold. But again, SC dropping three spots, fine. I can live with it because they got to go through the rest of their schedule too, which includes Washington, Utah, Notre Dame, among others, UCLA, like Colorado on Saturday. No matter what you think about Colorado, they can jump up and bite you, save this game where they scored just six, talk about it a little bit later. It's a good football team. So I've lived with it, right? I don't have USC there, and that's a good way to segue into my top 25. Briefly, you can see USC at my top 25 is ranked number four, but I'm going to start at number three here. Ohio State, where I've had them all year, showed themselves to be one of the three best teams in college football with their 17-14 to victory against Notre Dame in Notre Dame, Indiana, which is a municipality unto itself. Inside of South Bend, I I get a kick out of that, right? No wonder South Bend folks feel some kind of way about Notre Dame. But this game didn't go Ohio State's way for most of it. Like, you can't score on the one-yard line, which would, again, been the first TD of the game. But you go up 3-0 at halftime. The defense is playing out of its mind. Like, I made this point on the live show Saturday night that if I told you that the Buckeye defense had held the Notre Dame offense to 14 points into the fourth quarter, you would have assumed that the Buckeyes were ahead, maybe by a lot, but that wasn't the case. You get a home run hit from Trayvon Henderson for the first TD of the game right when you needed it, right? And you're able to get 10 on the board, but credit to Sam Hartman and that Notre Dame offense for just finding a way to get into the end zone and make this not just a game, but 14-10 means that Ohio State had to go down there and get a score left them just a little bit too much time. They get down to the one-yard line. The game's on the line. And we got to see Chip Trainum basically push his way into the end zone. But during the live show, I didn't know this until afterward. I was talking about how it was great that Ohio State was able to punch it in when they needed to to go get this win after what was a really great performance from Notre Dame. And then I learned after we finished the stream that (laughs) Notre Dame only had 10 men on the field. In the most important play of the game, 
And Ohio State was able to punch it in to go get that six for a dramatic win. It feels really kind of terrible to win a football game like that. But I'm going to reference Marcus Freeman talking about having 10 players on the field because one, we could think it was coaching, but usually it's not. Usually the coaches are on top of this. It's the players that need a little bit of help. Marcus Freeman answered question about 10 players on the field by saying we were trying to get a fourth D lineman on the field. And I told them just stay off because we can't afford a penalty. And he didn't have any timeouts. That's on us. We got to be better. He said it was inexcusable. And it is. I really hate. I really hate this. I, I do. I hate it because there's a fourth D lineman who's standing next to Marcus Freeman, who knows that if Ohio State scores, it's it's for him. It It's forever that he wasn't on the field because the one thing you want to do in this sport is affect the game. And you couldn't affect the game because there was just a mental challenge. You didn't overcome at the time. Freeman caught it good on him for not getting the penalty, right. And running the guy back out there, maybe giving them a fresh set of downs and just hoping that they could do it with 10, which would have been an outstanding story. And frankly would have led right into the narrative around Ohio state. So I have Ohio state at three, but all year, all offseason, all you'd heard was Ryan Day might not be the guy in Columbus. Based on what? And it is based on this approach of physicality. So let me backtrack here. In 2021, Ohio State went to Michigan in a muck Meyer cold game and got handed its head. Okay. Gave up more than 200 yards on the ground and couldn't really run the ball themselves. I think they had 63 rush yards, had to throw the ball all over the field in a loss to Michigan. 2022 comes around. You're expecting a revenge game from Ohio State at the shoe. No, they got embarrassed at the shoe. Gave up over 500 yards of offense, over 250 yards on the ground. Make the playoff, right? Give Georgia everything it wants in what was the de facto national championship game. And still, we're talking about Ryan Day and whether or not these dudes are too soft to play at Ohio State. And you got to understand, Ohio State is a place full of roughneck from the rust belt, okay? The thing they don't do is soft. Are we hard enough to go and get wins? Is the defense hard enough to go beat people up? Is the run game hard enough to run people down? And then you get Lou Holtz, legendary Notre Dame coach, on the airwaves who says that Ohio State will lose to Notre Dame because they're simply not physical enough. If somebody did not need to hear that at that moment in time, it was Ryan Day, who was all the way charged up because there's a lot of things you could call Ryan Day that probably don't get a rise out of him. Every time I talk to the man, it's been very cool. He's been super chill and frankly open and honest. But calling his team to be less physical than Rose Byrne in an Apple TV show, that's going to do it. That's going to fire him up. And they went out and won a really physical football game against a really physical football team in Notre Dame. Yeah, he 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 gonna have him a good time. And frankly, so should Buckeye fans because that message is being sent. Now they still got to play Penn State. They still got to play Michigan. But right now, it's a good time to feel good about a Buckeye team who didn't play its best football in a dirty, nasty game. Dirty being rough, not dirty being a uh, foul, right? I don't think anything was uh, underboard about this. That's not the point. The point is they were able to run the ball and play outstanding defense when they needed to. And I think they're going to show that 
as Kyle McCord continues to grow up because he did a lot of growing up in that game. Like I thought it was interesting that Sam Hartman also had played against Notre Dame at Wake Forest and it said, hey, the moment was too big for me. I didn't understand. And then I got there and said, oh, no, this is this, I don't know what to do with this. Kyle McCord was in a similar situation. There's nothing like being in that experience and knowing what it is like to try to calm yourself down and to make the simple throws and to not get in your own way. And he's fighting that all night long. Even Day was going, hey, man, he's learning. He's going through it. That's what has to happen. That's that's called work life experience. Those of us that look at resumes and or excuse me, resume job applications going, do you have two years, five years experience? It's like, no, because nobody give me a shot. I'm talented enough to go do this. Just give me a shot and teach me. Now Kyle McCord got that opportunity and got a win. Really excited for Ohio State and the rest of their season. I want to move from Ohio State to Texas. And I have Texas at number five here. The AP's got him at number three. Mostly, I think that Ohio State can beat up USC and Texas right now. We'll see how that changes or doesn't as we get through conference play. But Texas took care of business against Baylor, right? 38 to 6 against Baylor. For perspective here, Utah, right? Utah damn near got that that loss against Baylor, right? That was a dogfight. We don't think Baylor's that good, especially seeing that Blake Shappen didn't play in the game again, but he didn't play against Utah either. I think that it's true. Texas has always been talented and been one of the most talented football teams in the sport for a very long time. But as they go through this season, where the Big 12 might not be as deep as it was last year, We'll get to find out more about them. Now, I say that West Virginia up and beat up Texas Tech and is 3-1 and one all of a sudden, right? So it's getting deep there. You can see Kansas is in my top 25, too. They're 4-0. Kansas State bounced back from the loss to Missouri to show uh, Central Florida what's really good, right? And my Oklahoma Sooners are right there, man. Like, they're 4-0 for the 17th time in 20 years. But the season for Oklahoma doesn't start till they play in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. Been here 49 to zero all year. Nobody wants to remember Dylan Gabriel couldn't play in that game. Everybody just wants to remember that Quinn Ewers was absolutely destroying Oklahoma's defense. That's the point there. The defense of last year is not the defense of this year, but is it good enough to beat that Texas team? We're going to get to find out because I got him at 13. The AP's got him at 14, right? So I don't think we're either one of us is overvaluing what Oklahoma has done, but I like the spot that Oklahoma is in, as I've been saying all year. Don't mind Oklahoma. Don't pay no attention to what's going on in Norman. We're a flyover state, right? You know, you treat us like you treat Indiana. You know what I'm saying? You know, you treat us like you treat Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota. Fine. Yeah. Don't mind us. Don't don't mind us at all till we go down to Dallas. And then you won't have a choice. All right? That's going to be the game. Texas, Oklahoma win that game. That's going to be the de facto, I think, one seed going into the Big 12 championship game. But nobody right now would be shocked to find out it's just like old times. Oklahoma and Texas running the Big 12, or should I say Oklahoma running the Big 12, because Texas ain't run nothing but its mouth since 2009. You, um, tell, me I'm, tell, tell me I'm lying to you. Tell me I'm lying to you. All right, then. So 25, I have Colorado. 25, they have Fresno State. I think Colorado beat Fresno State, right? I test stuff. Remember, how do teams look, Right. I think they got outclassed by a very good Oregon football team. Oregon proved that there are levels to this, and Colorado is not yet there. However, I think that it's funny that so many people want to come up and have something to say about Oregon doing what Oregon was supposed to do against Colorado. 
Okay. I also think it's funny that Oregon fans in particular somehow think they won a national championship. The season is done now. Yeah, we're going to run through it. Nah, you, you beat Colorado, which is a team that you had beaten every year but one for like the last 27 times that you played them. Good on you. Good, good stuff. Appreciate you. But what you should not do is doubt Prime and doubt what the Buffaloes will be because he's right about this and I'm right about this. This is as bad as they're going to be. The one thing that Prime has been able to do and do better than anybody else in the sport is convince talent to come play for him. The defensive line will get better. The offensive line will get better. But you cannot understate what it means to go get 86 new players, 56 new transfers, who all came together and wanted to win and are 3-1, and one, by the way, as we go through this season. You think somehow that's going to slow down? I assure you it is not. And people want to root for Colorado. I know this. I know this because they are showing it with their eyeballs and with their money. Online team sales at Colorado are up 80 to 892% in revenue, right? Traffic's up 505% to that site. The University of Colorado told the Daily Camera that they commissioned a study to find out what Prime's impact has been on Colorado. And they said it's about $90 million in brand value, marketing value, right? They've sold out their season tickets for the first time. They've sold out all their tickets for the season for the first time. They are making money hand over fist. Their social followers across the five major social accounts, right, go from 268,000 following CU football to more than 2 million now, okay? I get that Dan Lanning wants to be a football coach and he's going to fire up his kids by saying, hey, they, they, they're trying to win clicks. You, you know who cares about clicks? Good players. Great players. I will remind you, only one coach in the history, 154-year history of our sport, has convinced a five-star player to play at an FCS school, let alone the HBCU. That is Coach Prime. And that player is Travis Hunter. Now, Thought it's kind of funny. Late after the show, we're doing our report with each other, uh, producer Kat and I. We're going through things we liked, things we didn't like. And I learned from the Instagrams that Travis Hunter had been live on his Twitch channel playing 2K during halftime of Colorado, Oregon. And she had the first appropriate response to this, which was just kind of funny. And I think it's funny too, right? I think it's funny because, A, I would not have advised him to do that. Play 2K, my dude. Maybe don't play it where other people can see you playing it while your team is in the middle of getting stomped out in Eugene, Oregon. That's not a great look. But am I going to tell him no? No, I'm not. You know why? Because he's Travis Hunter. He's playing both ways. He got a last rate delivered. He'd love to be playing football. He can't. You know what we do when we are not allowed to do the thing that we want to do most? We try to do something else to get our attention away from it because we are becoming hazardous to everybody around us. We are becoming absolutely awful. So if you got to go play video games and do it live on Twitch, go do that, my dude. But it's 35-0 at halftime. What do you expect him to do? He in Boulder. They in Eugene. The game is over at halftime. I watched it. You watched it. I know you watched it because y'all y'all wanted to tell me about, hey, 
Tell me what you want to know about Colorado. Tell, tell me, talk to me now. Talk to me now. Right. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm bringing this up because it's funny, right? I'm bringing it up because somebody out there is thinking this man should be all about his team all the time. Yeah. All right. Maybe I know that we all want everybody to be all in on the thing that we love, but some of us can get away with it because we're more talented than the rest. That's the way this thing works. There are different rules for different players. You know who said that? It wasn't prime. Comes way before prime. Comes during the time that prime was playing college football. My favorite head coach of all time, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy told his Miami players, I'm going to treat you all fair, but I'm not going to treat you all the same. Different rules for different players. You know who said that? Red Auerbach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boston Celtics legend Red Auerbach because one of the players saw Bill Russell on the sideline with his head, with his feet up reading the paper. And he asked Red, yo, why I got to practice while Bill reads the paper? And Red Auerbach looked that dude straight in the eye and said, because he's Bill Russell and you're not. <laughs> there it is. You ain't got to like it. But again, back to what you don't like and what you can do about it. Jake Gaither, coach, one of the best football players who ever lived. His name is Bullet Bob Hayes. He had just won the gold medal in Tokyo in 100 meters. He came back. He played football FAMU. Reporters showed up. They wanted to talk to Bob Hayes. They wanted to talk to the gold medal winner. Okay, cool. FAMU's a great football team at the time. Those players feel some kind of way about Bob getting all these headlines, getting all this attention. So they go see Coach Gaither, and they say, hey, we don't like that Bob gets all this attention. We would like you to do something about it. To which Jake said, hey, you know how you can stop Bob getting all this attention? It's one way. It's real simple. Can you beat him in a foot race? Oh, the answer is no. Then this is what it is. And as soon as you can beat him in a foot race, I, I assure you, they will show up to talk to you. But since you can't, this is what it is. I find it funny, man. It's just this is all all the way wild here. And I'm having a great time, as you can see. Uh, as you can see, if you listen to the podcast, man, I had to go get the Cuban link out for today because I was feeling that kind of way, right? I don't know how long it's going to stay out, but you should know that I got it. And yes, it's as real as they get because I'm having a damn good time doing this here right now. All right. That is going to do it for today's episode of the number one college football show. We'll be back on Wednesday to get you set for the week ahead, college football, another big game on, on the menu for Colorado. They got USC coming up. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special teams, special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and rivals see the cake we bake. John Marcus is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth and is calling the plays from the sidelines today. Our man Tyler Wojak gets us set each and every week for this show that you're doing here. And the play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all live. Or not live. We'll see y'all on Wednesday. When we got to talk about, among other things, USC and Colorado. Till then, stay low, keep those feet driving. Doses.